0: Romans 12, uh, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which I love that because in view, is like it's already happened, it's in the past, which is really cool because, you know, there's going to be more mercy to come and there's already been mercy, which is, I love that, sorry. Um, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform in the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Then, and only then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect, uh, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thank you. Thank you, Connor, and good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Over the past few months, my family and I have been involved in a home remodel. For those of you that know me, you're, already, you're tired of me talking about it. But my apologies, I have to talk about it at the beginning of this lesson. Anyway, we went through this, a lot of stuff we've never done before. And out of all of the things, really enjoyed most of it. It was a lot of fun, very rewarding. And out of all of this, the worst part of this home remodel was a shower door. I don't know if any of you here have ever installed a shower door, but I would not highly recommend it if you can help it. We bought this beautiful glass frameless shower door. It's a beautiful door. It really is. And we go to install this thing, and it's in the morning when we start on it, and we start unboxing everything. That was the hardest thing to install that I have ever tried to do. That thing would not cooperate. It was stubborn. It had what the company called instructions. They were no good. Just had to pretty much throw them out and guess your way along. And it was very unforgiving, hard to work with. We finally get the thing installed, and we go to use it, and it leaks all over the floor. That was the first of many problems. But it leaked, and so I tried to caulk things, I tried to adjust things, and it's still leaking. I would fix a leak that came out of the corner over here, and as soon as I fixed that, a leak would come out of the corner over here, and I worked, and I adjusted, and worked on it, and finally got the thing to stop leaking. But in a matter of a week or two, the, the door slipped out of adjustment, and so I put it back and it would slip again. And I would put it back, and I'm telling you, I tried to get the screws on the thing as tight as I could get them, and that door still slips and gets out of adjustment. Most annoying thing ever. It's like a little kid who you you tell a child constantly to do something they're not supposed to do, and they stop for a minute, but eventually they just go and do it again. Of course, with kids, there's multiple possibilities here, because kids, most of them, if not all of them, think they're a lot smarter than adults, and in their self-perceived wisdom, they tend to act on that, and so there are that type of, of children. Well, then there are some that need correction, and they just flat out don't listen. You know that type. That's me a lot of the time. And there are those who are pleasers, but they still occasionally find ways to get in trouble. It's a constant, ongoing thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I find humor in children's behavior. But then as I, as I find humor in it, I realize I am just like they are. I am really no different. I have the same tendency. Sometimes I think I'm smart. Sometimes I don't want to do what I'm supposed to do. And I don't have any interest in listening to the correction that I need. And so I end up just like that shower door. I slip. You ever feel that way? Am I the only one that that feels this way? You ever feel this way on some level? I know it's a common ongoing problem. It's an ongoing struggle and it can be that way. We're not alone in this. As we continue in our Ephesians series today, we're going to see that the Ephesians were facing similar issues in their lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, where we have been, Paul transitions to some rich practical teaching that deals with our way of life as God's people, things that we need to pursue as his children. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And David took us through that, and we saw how we pursue an out of this world oneness because of whose we are. Because we belong to Christ, we pursue a unity that is unparalleled to anything else in this world. Then last week, Princeton took us to 4, verses 7 through 16. And we saw that we pursue an out-of-this-world strength because of the unique gifts that Christ gave to the church. Well, today we're going to be in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, and we're going to see today that we are an out-of-this-world creation that is in the likeness of God rather than in the likeness of this world. Therefore, we pursue a different kind of behavior than the world. And all of these things are manifested by a lifestyle that we choose to take on when we enter a relationship with Christ. And sometimes it's easy to forget, and sometimes it's easier to relax and slip back into old habits, a lot like the annoying shower door. And the Ephesians appeared to be struggling with this. And so, that's where we're going to be this morning is Ephesians 4, and we'll get there in just a moment. Now, anytime that we study an epistle, we have to assume that the topic that is addressed in that epistle is an issue in that congregation. That's usually how that works, is we see Paul is writing this must be an issue. And if it's worthy of A spirit inspired letter to address that issue, it's most likely a problem that at some point in our lives we may be at risk of facing also. And I think that's especially true with today's text. Ephesians 4 17 through 24 highlights the dangers of slipping back into old worldly habits, but then it goes on to give us what we need to more effectively be the renewed, out-of-this-world creation that we are in Christ Jesus. And Paul accomplishes this by showing us the contrast. He makes a contrast between the old and the new person in Christ, and he identifies attributes that we should pursue. So let's start a little bit more on the negative, because these three verses... They highlight the old worldly creation. So follow along with me and we'll look at verses 17 through 19 of chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Not a real upbeat text here, but he's identifying a contrast. And so he starts here with the don't do this part of this. Now, the world in a spiritual context, was often exemplified by the Gentiles of the first century. That's why he's using Gentiles here as his example to illustrate what he's talking about. Now, Gentiles, to get in context who they are, they they consisted of everyone that was not a Jew, and they were shaped entirely by the Greek culture of the world. They, as a rule, served numerous other gods, none of whom were the one true God. And now, we need to draw a distinction here, because there were many Gentiles in the first century who heard the gospel and obeyed the gospel and became Christians. We read about a lot of them throughout the New Testament. But these are not who is in view as Paul writes this. He is referring to Gentiles in a generic term of those who had no interest in hearing the gospel or anything else. They embraced and encompassed the the Hellenistic lifestyle of the day. They are the world, so to speak. And that's why Paul is using the language he's using here. And look at how he goes on to tell about them. He starts out and he mentions their futility of mind, this worthlessness of mind that they have and he, and and what he's saying there's the things that occupy their mind and guide their thinking are things that are ultimately going to get them nowhere that's what futility of mind is and the phrase here would speak of, of basically just being guided by animal instinct rather than by anything spiritually significant and it was common in that culture there are places where we read about the Greek culture, and they spent their entire day just waiting around to hear some sort of new information. They were just consumed with a runaway freight train of stuff, none of it spiritual, a lot of it philosophical. That's the kind of thing they were doing, but it can be dangerous. And that's what Paul is getting at, because it has been dangerous, and it's led them down a path that's ungodly. And so he goes on with this, this continues, he's funneling this into a point, and he goes on to say they're darkened in understanding. So their futility of mind has led to a darkened understanding. And here Paul speaks of the ruin that is brought about by by the degenerating influences of a pagan life in sin. You see, worldly thought only degrades our thinking and darkens our understanding and the reason for that is because with it there is no light from the revelation of God and it's what led people like Solomon to write there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is a way of death this is the kind of thing that's going on here and this leads to an outright ignorance that's where this goes and that's what Paul points out next in the text Now, that doesn't mean they were unintelligent. Ignorance here has nothing to do with intelligence level. As a matter of fact, the term that we see in the text that's used in the original is where we get our English word agnostic. So he's saying they are agnostic. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means that they're not really concerned about whether or not God actually exists. They don't care. God might exist and he might not. It really doesn't make any difference either way. They are agnostic. It just doesn't matter. And the danger is what we see next, and that is that it leads to a hardness of heart. It leads to a callousness, and that is where the true danger of all of this gets to, because when we reach a point of a calloused heart, it's very hard to turn back from that. Some translations render this being past feeling. And I think that encapsulates that about as well as anything. Imagine being to the point that you don't care about anything and nothing really moves you. That's a very dangerous place spiritually to end up. And where it leads is even more dangerous because he goes on. And he says this leads to every kind of impurity and greediness and so on and so on and so on. I think one word describes this better than anything else. And that is hedonism. If you've never heard of hedonism, it's the concept of the worship of pleasure. The idea that whatever I want, I get. Whatever I see in my mind that I desire or whatever I perceive as right, it is right. Now you might think, well, it's a good thing we're not there. Look around. Look around at our society and see if you don't think Ephesians is relevant to today. Look around. Everybody does what that is right in their own eyes. What I want, I get, and you can't tell me I can't have it. We're to the point in our society that if I want to be another gender, you don't dare tell me I can't be. That's where a callousness and a hardness of heart can lead. This is an ugly picture. But it's a reality when we try to create our own path for ourselves based on worldly thoughts and desires. When we elevate our own wisdom above God's or when we just decide we don't want to hear it, When it comes to the corrective action that we need to take, this is where it can go. Paul makes the big contrasting statement here as he transitions from this to pointing out the life that we would ought to live as his people in verse 20. And he says, you did not learn Christ this way. Or more literally, this is not the way of Christ. And so he's identified this lifestyle. He says, ha uh this isn't how it is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing in this world that lines up in any way with our Christ-created identity. Now, Paul wrote this because Christians are still living like this. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had any reason to write this. And that means if we're not careful we can fall into the same trap. They needed to be reminded, and so do we. We were not saved to keep living a lifestyle that is at odds in every way with our identity. We were saved from that lifestyle to be something out of this world. Now, I don't know about you, but I I listen to this, and I struggle here. I feel like man, I want to fall back into worldly temptations and tendencies far too easily. And I think, well, it may not be as big a deal as the Gentiles. doesn't matter. There are things I struggle with. I complain all the time. I'm impatient. And these are not tendencies. And especially as we read on through Ephesians, He addresses things like that, things like little things, tolerance, forgiveness, loving, kindness. All of these are coming up as we continue through this book, because Paul is very practical with it. And I'm looking, man, I am not doing what I need to do. I read this, and I realize I need to listen to corrective action. I need to listen like they needed to listen. So how do we do that? That's the question. We've laid all of this down. This is They were not good. How do we fix it? What do we need to do here? Well, Paul goes on and he shows the contrasting new creation in Christ, and he identifies what we need to pursue instead. So let's look at verses 21 through 24. Beginning, and I'll read verse 20 to catch us where where 21 goes. You did not learn Christ this way, if indeed you have heard him. And have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus that the life, or excuse me, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So there it is. There's the grand contrast between the old worldly creation and the new out-of-this-world creation. And Paul, right away, we can see how to pursue this. And it starts, we see this in verse 21, it starts with remembering what we have learned. And it's all about Jesus. All truth about morality and life is centered in the person of Jesus, That's where the focus is. It is in him that we heard the message of the gospel. It is in him that we were taught how to live a lifestyle as his disciple. It is in him and only him that truth is found. And it is the truth that sets us free from the hopelessness of this world. And we need ongoing reminders of what we have learned. We need ongoing reminders to sustain us. That's the why behind regular Bible class, regular meeting together, and opening up the Word of God and and taking it in. Yeah, we read stuff in the Bible. Yeah, I know that. I've heard that. Good. We need ongoing reminders. That is how God works transformation in us, is by ongoing remembering of what we have learned. The second thing we see Paul point out here is that the former manner of life has to become the former manner of life. We can't dabble in our worldly ways, it's got to stop. That's what Paul writes here. Our old self is just corrupt, and it's subject to ongoing corruption. Our old self doesn't do anything but deceive us, it lies. It degrades, it cheats, it leads to death. That's all the good it is to us. And so we have to truly lay that aside. Next, we have to commit wholly to walking like the new creation that we are. That's where Paul takes us from there. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and engage the new creation that is in the likeness of God created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. So, in a nutshell, Paul is saying, if I read this right, and I think you'll agree, stop that, start this. Stop living in the worldly lifestyle and and engaging in that behavior and embrace the life of a godly out-of-this-world behavior. That's what he's saying. Wouldn't it be nice if it actually worked that easily? Anybody in here ever tried to quit a bad habit? I think most of us at some point have probably had a habit of some sort they tried to quit. Some people I've even talked to said, yeah, I quit that 15 times. (laughs) And isn't that the truth? Like, I I can quit great, but I can start one more time greater. Wouldn't it be great if it were just that simple? But we have to look at this and consider. Paul is stating this as a command. This is an imperative statement in this verse. And so it is what we would call a must-do of the Bible. And since it's a command, it means we can. And the good news is, is that Paul tells us how. And the how of this is it requires a renewal of the mind. You see, we by nature... We only do that which we want to do. If we don't want to do something, it is going to be insincere and it's going to be temporary at best. Now make no mistake, we can white knuckle our way through about anything. But when we do that, we eventually are like that shower door. And in a short time, we're going to slip back where we ultimately want to be. And so we have to take on a change of desire. That's what it takes to do this. God, through the Spirit, has transformed you and He is continuing to do so. We just have to embrace that transformation from the inside out. The change of desire must take place. Now, this is accomplished not by looking at the small thing. This is accomplished by looking at the big picture and then letting the big picture manipulate the small details. Here's what I mean by that. I want to give you four questions today to take home with you. Number one, do I love God? That's always question number one. Let that guide your desire. Number two, do I want to please God? Number three, do I want to serve God? Christ. Make sure you're writing these in your bulletin. There's a spot for him. I had a slide, but obviously we don't have that. Number four, do I want to spend eternity with Him? So, do I love God? Do I want to please God? Do I want to serve Christ? Do I want to spend eternity with Him? If these things are our wants and desires, we can begin to see the smaller things that we may not otherwise want to do through a different perspective. I was talking to David Henniger about this this week, and I have to drop his name because otherwise this wouldn't be honest, and you'll know why here in just a second. David said it this way. He said, I may not want to do the dishes, but I want a good relationship with my spouse. Therefore, I want to do the dishes. Now see, I had to name David's name because I don't want to do the dishes, But that makes a powerful point, because what is he saying in that? It's it's not about earning anything from God. It's about your decision to love God and please Him in the relationship that you have with Him. And when we want to do that, it changes our desires and just about everything related to it. And with that, that change of desire will take place over the course of time. But in the process, remember this. I don't want to lose sight of this. In the process, you need to to remember that even in all your struggles, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you already possess the holiness and righteousness of God, despite your ongoing struggles to put off the influences of this world. So focus your mind and your desire on loving God and pleasing Him. And then let Him transform you by the power of the Spirit that is in you, into that new, out-of-this-world creation, as you embrace the new creation that He's made you. How are you engaging the renewal that Christ has accomplished in you? If you find yourself slipping back into the darkness or back into that callousness of heart, you don't have to let that take you down. Spend some time this week with those questions and see if that doesn't help you renew your mind and your desire to engage a life that Christ would have you to live. Maybe you've never made that choice to start a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've never allowed him to make you that new creation. Well, I can tell you this, it is our deepest desire here to help you make that change. And if you need that from us this morning, you can do it. You can be immersed into Christ, you can be buried in the waters of baptism, and you can rise up out of those waters a new creation, one that is out of this world. If you have a need from us this morning, whatever it may be, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?